is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we talk about Jeff Sessions' statements on marijuana, 250 buried skulls, Maoism, an Ethiopian garbage avalanche, and the results of Dutch elections. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa. Uh, joining me tonight is Patrick. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> Red party. <laughs> the house. Oh, God, I want to kill myself. That was that was a stunning introduction. <laughs> you, want, you want to take a mulligan or are you good? You can do it again. All right. Let's keep it in there for, like, the cringe, I guess. All right. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, Grant. Hey, Grant from Red Party. Donald. Hey, Donald Parkinson here. And Lexi. Lexi from Red Party. Only slightly less awful than heroin. Well, you scooped my first subject. So, uh, yeah, recently uh, Jeff Sessions, U.S. Attorney General, uh, came out and said that Heroin is, or that marijuana is only slightly less awful than heroin. (coughs) (laughs) You don't say. (coughs) Which, by the way, we're we are all spooned after that introduction happened. What? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. See what? See what's done. Ah. Our beautiful party. More, more evidence that marijuana is degenerate, just like heroin. Yeah. I think what's funny about this is, like, all the drug dealers who supported Trump and all the, like, you know, I I mean, I guess I know some, but it was just really weird seeing, like, drug dealers be pro-Trump. Yeah. Do you mean, like, like trust fund kids who sell pot in college or? That's one guy I met through college. So, yeah, he was probably, like, just, like, a petty bourgeois fuck. But, like, even then, like more powerful if he hates the police and so it's like trump's big platform is law and order like so i just don't see what the appeal of trump well, or any, anyone to you know deal there's with also the there is also like the uh, the like fail son drug dealer like contingent of like people who are maybe using like a little bit of dealing to like supplement their income because their life's kind of you know not where they want it to be like, so, like, I could see how those people would be like, oh, well, Trump's going to make America great again. And, you know, I'm going to have the, you know, cow- the house with the, you know, garage and two cars and all that shit. You know, because the, the economy like, will be a complete fucking. Who actually thinks marijuana is like a horrible thing anymore? Is that really like enough a percentage of the population? I feel like a lot of people who support Trump are just like middle aged, like middle class people who smoke weed. Like, Oh, At this yeah. point, I feel like marijuana has been so destigmatized that it's just ridiculous to even make like, an issue about this. And I think the last couple of years have have seen a rapid sort of jump. You know, we we went from sort of quantitative to qualitative where 
truly you can uncontroversially say most people in the United States just don't give a shit about it. Yeah, it yeah. seems like Trump and some of his cronies definitely come from that, you know, country club Republican contingent who, you know, were part of the William F. Buckley generation of like young Republicans who disdained hippies and you know, that that like cultural component still kind of exists. It's going to exist in pretty much any conservative administration. I mean, I'd agree though. I don't that think plenty of Trump's social base, yeah. you know, smokes pot. Yeah, 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 yeah also, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a debate within the alt right, for example, whether pot is degenerate, whether drugs are degenerate, or whatever. And so I don't know. Maybe I mean, that's. Kind I of feel the, like that would be hilarious to read the alt right form debates about that yeah yeah so i would I mean, love to read all right about the drug I mean, one. <laughs> it's probably less controversial than hentai you know <laughs> god <laughs> it's a little more of a... if, if you smoke weed your anime girlfriend won't be attracted to you anymore yeah, true well, it's sort of probably running along the same fault lines right we're dealing with social conservatism versus like postmodern libertarianism Right, right. I mean, Trump definitely had some of like the Gary Johnson esque conservatives, you know, like especially in like the younger generation, because a lot of Trump's appeal was just, you know, sort of like a big fuck you to you know, libs, essentially. Yeah, yeah the um, people who like weed and hate poor people. Exactly. Yeah. But I want to read a little bit of uh, Jeff Sessions' like fuller statement, uh, which he made um, in Richmond uh, speaking to law enforcement. Quote, I realize this may be an unfashionable belief in a time of growing tolerance of drug use, but too many lives are at, are at stake to worry about being fashionable. I reject the idea that America will be a better place if marijuana is sold in every corner store, and I am astonished to hear people suggest that we can solve our heroin crisis by legalizing marijuana so people can trade one life-wrecking dependency for another that's slightly less awful. Say I mean, clearly once again that using drugs will destroy your life. I, I uh, lives are at stake. Reefer madness. But the, the thing that's so perverse about this is the level of opiate overdose that's going on in the country. To compare the two is just insulting. Uh, there's an incredible article, an incredibly depressing article, but an incredible article nonetheless called Unnecessariate that compares the level of overdoses and other kind of diseases of despair, sociologists call it. Um, to the AIDS epidemic and kind of looking proportionately at the numbers and the, it, it's horrendous. And the fact that someone it, is going to take a drug that you can't overdose on and make this comparison is, turns my stomach. No amount of weed can numb my stomach. Yeah. This administration is looking like they're not going to have a very great stance on drugs. <laughs> Despite the fact that a lot of Trump's base are probably, you know, basement dwelling pot smoking 4chan kids. Like, this administration what? is not I'm, – and I'm worried about creative. Well, they, this guy – yeah, this, this guy literally <laughs> wants to roll things back to, like, you know, Nancy Reagan, like, say no to drugs. Like, he's one of those people that thought that that was, like, the most brilliant, like, effective thing that ever I happened. He quoted just say no at some point. Well, though, he – yeah, well, he, it goes on. In the 80s and 90s, we saw how campaigns stressing prevention brought down drug use and addiction. We can do this again. Educating people and telling them the terrible truth about drugs and addiction will result in better choices. We can reduce the use of drugs, save lives, and turn back the surge of crime that inevitably follows in the wake of increased drug use. So yeah, it's basically, let's go back to like, just say no about drugs, 
just say no to drugs, and we'll get the Ninja Turtles and the Muppet Babies and all of them to do a cartoon together, and we'll show it to the kids, and that'll that'll solve the drug problem like it did in the 80s and 90s when there were no drugs. Oh, yeah, the 90s. It's no. not as their drugs yeah. are cheaper. Yeah, it's, it's funny. If they gave a rational explanation of drugs and said, okay, marijuana is a mild drug, heroin is a heavy drug, and they actually told people like what these drugs were and the differences, people would be more likely to listen and you know make intelligent decisions about drugs, I think, yeah, because they would have access to the information they need. Yeah, but drugs turn you into a communist. All drugs, really, they turn you into a communist. True facts. I, I've. Well, that's what I've, this is all. You know? I yeah. Mean, when you think about it, really, really, really think about it. Like drugs are just a conspiracy by the Frankfurt School, obviously. By the like, uh, the, the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles are at it again. Beatles, eh? Oh, yes. I seem to remember their off-key caterwauling on the old Sullivan show. What was it thinking? No, I mean, the problem is, you know, pretty soon the kids will be, you know, associating with brown people and listening to jazz music. And yeah. They want to turn back the clock to the, you know. This social conservatism is, is, this is how Trump really maneuvered. He managed to get the social conservatives on his side. A lot of the social conservatives saw the writing on the wall, the death of the religious right. And just tacked on with Trump, one of Ted Cruz's big donors, switched camps um, and saw that the best chance for the Christian right was to pair up with Trump. And this is what we get. And, and funny yeah. enough, I think that has to exist. One of Trump's reasons for success is that that exists in perfect parallel with the fact that he's from New York. I don't think a lot of supporters had the impression that necessarily Trump was going to go hard on drug enforcement or LGBT social issues or, or things like that. I think that there is a case to be made for people among Trump's base uh, kind of assuming that his sort of, to use Ted Cruz's phrase, New York values would win the day. And I definitely think he, during the campaign, played both sides of that to create that impression. Yeah. Yeah, it really goes to show just how much Trump Trumpism is essentially kind of a popular front of the right, where he's able to unite paleo-conservatives, like white nationalist types, with like kind of libertarian, anti-establishment types, with old school conservatives, religious right types. And it's it's really like interesting how because you just yeah. have the strong man figure, you can unite all these different right wing tendencies around the common figure. Yeah, exactly. Like he knew exactly. He knew so well how to throw a bone to like each <clears throat> each little section. Like, you know, he goes goes on Alex Jones and like winks at Alex Jones for thirty minutes. You know, he'll th throw a thing over here, the bone over here. Like it, it, he did a really good. And because he's so inconsistent, in a way that's like a feature because people can just kind of cherry pick the statements that they like and get behind him on that basis it makes me wonder how long trump's going to be able to play anti-establishment because i mean he's the president uh the trump supporters that i know still have a sense that he's going to take it to washington he's going to you know he's he's you know i i don't agree well, with him on the abortion thing i don't agree with this but he's still going to take well, it to Washington. he's he's able to position himself against like the media establishment right now like that's right. what he's doing to keep up the whole anti-establishment feel of his campaign going. How long is this going to last? I wonder. I, I wonder. 
I wonder, just kind of looking at like the healthcare debate right now, like how he's kind of like stayed back a little bit from it. Like, I wonder if he's going to I almost have this theory that like he's going to well, he basically he let, throw- let, the, let the Republicans like come up with like their shitty like Ryan care plan and then fail. And then he can use that to like attack them and make the, you know, put it all off on them and make them look shitty and thus elevating himself by like, you know what I mean? Like, how, I definitely how- don't think he wants it to be Trump care. There's definitely right. distancing going on. He's taken notes from Obama. He took notes. Did he really? Did he though? Because I hear like a lot of stuff about how he basically just like watches TV all day, and like he basically looks at how people are reacting to his presidency, like on through cable media almost at real time, and like makes decisions on that basis. I'm just saying he's he's not going to race into healthcare immediately as his first big campaign struggle and right, waste all right. waste a little political capital he has on right. that, like Obama squandered, you know, uh, an unprecedented electoral mandate on. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think there's another thing we want to talk about, which was those malice to our anti-drug. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a thing going around Left Book. I just thought I'd read it on the podcast. Uh, there are awesome Maoists, as someone wrote, I think, on, on their Facebook wall. In Turkey, revolutionaries intercept shipments of bonsai. And in parentheses, they have K2, synthetic, spice, etc. And set kilos upon kilos on fire giving the distributors a warning, if not a beating, and then direct onlookers to their rehab program where folks are taught how to destroy the enemy and not themselves. With higher rates of, with, and then again in parentheses, with higher rates of recovery success yeah. than state-sanctioned clinics. Uh, and then the next paragraph, can't wait for us to build that here. I got a personal beef with this shit from many years ago, and I'm ready to strike back fucking hard. Get it out of our city. So Probably basically, the, the Maoists want to go up against the cartels. Yeah. And in a related story, uh, recently they found uh, 250 human skulls in Veracruz, Mexico, who were uh, retaliated by against against the cartels. So, and yeah, they don't really know shows, who the skulls belong to either. It shows how much of a reactionary like force cartels would be in a, in a revolutionary situation. So you can but, see why the Maoists would want to go after them, but yeah, like they don't have the capacity to, and it would just be a bloodbath for them. Yeah, you can like, you can like snatch it. I was going to say, it sounds more like Maoist DEA than it sounds like <laughs> any sort of actual social plan to deal with the cartels. And I mean, like, like a lot of Maoist groups, I'm sure a lot of the drugs uh, would disappear. Well, so. yeah, they're against drugs. Like, they're against their members aren't allowed to use drugs. So, yeah, like a lot of Maoists do have a very anti-drug you know, philosophy, which is fucking stupid beyond belief. Doesn't that go back to, like, the Chinese, like, revolutionary policy where they rounded up a bunch of, like, addicts and dealers and killed them, basically? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't Granted, know. Granted, I am, I, am getting that sto- I am getting that story from Red Heat, the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jim Belushi, bloody cop comedy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't really know that's, if that's true, that's but I, I wouldn't put it past my <laughs> Hey, hey, careful the driving, will you? I don't want any accidents. I have to fill out paperwork for the rest of my life. I have car under control. Yeah, sure, sure. I suppose they taught you everything you need to know about car wrecks and the price of insurance in your famous school in Kiev. Socialist countries, insurance not necessary. State pays for everything. Yeah. Well, tell me something, Captain. If you got such a fucking paradise over there, how come you're up the same creek as we are with heroin and cocaine? 
Chinese find way. Right after revolution, they line up all drug dealers, all drug addicts, take them to public square, and shoot them in back of head. Yeah, hey, I never worked here. Fucking politicians wouldn't go for it. Shoot them first. Yeah, I don't want to parrot anti-communism, so I, I yeah, I don't want to wait. I, I'll stay silent on that. No investigation, no right to speak. But I mean, in China, in China currently, if you are caught like tr like smuggling drugs or dealing drugs, it is like an automatic death penalty. Yeah, that's obviously yeah. fucked up. And yeah, you would say that, Kratom King. Yeah. Well, it's just you know whether you're against drugs or not, it's a question of democratic rights in a way because it's just your autonomy and freedom to have you know, control over your body. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, but uh, that sounds like something Maoists don't care about at all. Yeah, freedom is really just a bourgeois concept. It's complete ideology. So was Baba Vakian really like breaking with like Maoist currents when he said that it'd be okay to smoke weed in communism? Pretty or much. Think... Okay. Yeah, so, if you read you know, um, Revolution in the Air by Max Baum, it's a history of Maoist groups from the 70s in the U.S. Like, there were multiple Maoist groups who had, like, rules against smoking marijuana. And, like, a lot of it was, like, on the basis that, like, true proles, like, didn't smoke weed. So, therefore, they had to go straight. And it was, you know, really, but, really stupid ideas like that. Maoist version of straight-edge punks. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but weren't, aren't Shining Path Maoist? Yeah. So how do they square that involved. circle? Because they're basically a drug, drug cartel, right? I mean... Well, the argument for the revolution, so it's okay, but... Okay. <laughs> just just like yeah. the tax in the Philippines, you know, yeah. like, for the revolution, we can do yeah. what we want. Yeah. We're Maoists. Yeah, coca so is, cocaine is revolutionary okay. when you think about it, because it keeps you going. That keeps the dialectic huh. going. Oh. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's weird that like I mean this is more of a like a thing of like Western Maoism, I think, is the anti drug stuff that I know of at least. Like Well and is that like is that I like don't a know much about revolutionary is that like an expedient thing in like a revolutionary situation, or do they picture communism as like this almost like platonic, you know, almost quasi Spartan existence, you know, where you know there's nothing uh, epicurean about it or whatever? I I don't know. I, I think they do have this vision of kind of like a primitive, like leveling, a very basic kind of, um, you know, simplistic communism, I guess. I don't know. The kind of Spartan, like you said, I think that is kind of what Maoists yeah. are going for because they have this military glorification. What was it Emma Goldman said? If I can't smoke, it's not my revolution. <laughs> Goddamn right. Even though I just made fun of that. I, I agree with it. Or well, you will I mean, make fun I mean, really, of it next Are week. we not going to party at all under communism? I mean, I think that's a valid question to ask of Maoists. Well, party is going to be like, you know, integrated into everyday life, man. <laughs> Wait, yeah, you, we, you like, mean like, the, like, the yeah. party of the advanced science of Marxism-Leninism? Well, well right? yeah. Yes, the advanced no, science of Marxism-Leninism like will help us like the situation is the best party. Like, a, like an eternal festival is how like the situation is described it. And that's what like culture would be like under communism, essentially. Yeah, um, I feel it. Except I'd hope it would be better than modern day music festivals because those places suck. I want to talk about this. I don't know if this story goes anywhere, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, in like Ethiopia, there was a uh, garbage avalanche 
that killed like 46 people. They don't know how many, I don't know how many exactly yet, uh, and left dozens missing, and it's crushed on homes. Apparently, like in Ethiopia, there are parts of like the, uh, around the, this is around the capital, people live like in the, in the landfills essentially because it's super cheap to do so. And then there was like, there was literally so much, because the problem is like the landfills become uh, overcrowded because they wanted to build another one somewhere else, but the farmers didn't want it to happen. So it's been getting like over, overfilled with waste. And this caused like a big, like amount of it to like crash onto a bunch of people and kill them. And I don't know, I don't know why I, th I thought this would be interesting, but I just think, you know, it's, this Ethiopia is basically a capitalist society, right? I mean, a long time ago, there was like an effort by like, I think our socialism subreddit to create a um, list of deaths under capitalism Wikipedia page, because there was a similar one for communism. Hmm. And I, I feel like you could like compile a list of like, you know, the horrors of like life under like the capitalist system. Yeah. And I think this would, this would definitely like rate in that. The, in norm, that the normalized violence of capitalism versus. Yeah, exactly. Know, exceptional. The eternal black book of capitalism that just seems to keep unrolling. Yeah, this is an example of just how degraded the condition of, you know, surplus humanity can get. Um, it recalls Planet of Slums by Mike Davis and what he says about class composition in the 21st century and what a truly depressing reality it is and how beneath the human dignity that, you know, we want to extend to everyone living well, in garbages and dying in a garbage avalanche. This is, this is stuff that Marxists, you know, first hundred days of communism or what have you, dictatorship yeah. of the proletariat. I mean, these sorts of massive inequities need to be addressed immediately. Immediately. Really. immediately. Yeah. It's like, disgraceful. Like, even if we don't get, like, the whole stateless thing of communism, you know, at least we'll get, like, these people out of poverty. And that's the crazy thing, because I read, I read Planet of Slums a while ago, and I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the people who are living in, like, these, like, houses basically made out of garbage were paying rent on it. Because, like, in the slums, there's this whole, like, network of, like, petty rentiers, like, all collecting rent from each other. Like, even in, like, the most, like, uh, disheveled hovel. Uh, it, how formal of an economy is that? Uh, oh, it's completely informal. Like, it's completely off. Um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, I think there, and there's, there's a, like, because a, a lot of the slums are, you know, they're not built, they don't own that land that they built all those houses on and so forth. And so for a while, there was, like, this NGO scheme to basically uh, give those people land titles uh, if they were living in those houses uh, as a way to basically give them essentially capital from which they could become more integrated into the formal economy. I don't know if it was particular, I don't think it was particularly successful because um, a lot of the very you know existence of that economy is sort of structurally informal. Anyway, uh, so moving forward, uh, Dutch elections. Uh, does does somebody who's a little maybe a little more versed in this want to uh, want to take this one? Well, the guy that lost, uh, Geert Wilders. Actually, um, does anyone know the name of his party? God, I I, I feel like an idiot not knowing this exactly. I, I haven't I haven't I have the Wikipedia. So the Party of Freedom was the right wing populist okay, party. Yeah, the Party of Freedom is yeah, it's Geert Wilders' party. It's pretty much just. You know, not fascist, but kind of like this new brand of, you know, right-wing xenophobic populism that's been popular these days. I think there was sort of a similar thing in Sweden for a while. Yeah. 
And I guess they lost. They didn't end up in power. But I think we have to look at this kind of – Well, it, even I if mean, the far right doesn't win the majority, they still are getting, like, huge crowds of people out to vote for them and are still able to contest in the game. And compare that to, like, where the Marxist left is at, and it's, it's you know, it's real stuff. And they well, do I, I, I think people – I think plenty of center-right politicians, basically the people in power in the European Union, are going to take this as a sign of security for them. And certainly it's good for them to have their opponents to the far right defeated somewhere. But I don't know how generalizable this is, you know, and I, I really think that drawing massive conclusions would be a mistake. Yeah, like he was still able to get like a large number of people, as like Donald said, and that's that's not good. That that is definitely not good. So the the it's breakdown sort of like on this you, st you stopped the bit. You did the bare minimum of surviving this election, and calling that a victory isn't exactly the whole story. Yeah, yeah. there's still like a reactionary wave going throughout Europe. So like this is just like. Uh, like a fluke like something that one one minor victory in a sea of losses well i i don't even know if it's a fluke it's just that the the conservatives won against the far right and there m must have been a popular front for the conservative party oh boy so yeah, that it, shows think, where we are i think what's might be happening too is that the conservatives are like becoming more right-wing and taking on and they're kind of trying to find ways to channel this right-wing populism, you know, in their own ways. And I think we're also, like, going to see this in the left. I think a lot of the left is actually going to become more right-wing on immigration, like Zizek has been. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Well, and just, just to give a picture of, like, what this the composition of this was, the there were about 13 parties that won seats in, like, this election. And the breakdown is, like, so the top was the... Um, People's Party for Freedom and Democracy, which I think is uh, sort of, it seems like center-right. And then that was, they had 21%. The Party for Freedom had 13.1. And then the Christian Democratic Appeal had 12.5. And then something called Democrats 66 had 12%. And then it goes on down. Uh, the Socialist Party had 9%. Uh, Grow and links, whatever the hell that is, had eight, had nine percent. Uh, They're the green left. Okay, thank you. Uh, and they, uh, let's see, labor had five point seven. Christian Union had three point four. The Party for the Animals had three point one, and then there goes on. There's a few others like that, but uh, yeah. So it's 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 a much more like heterogeneous election, but at the same time, it looks like the you know. The far right-wing party did pretty good in a pretty crowded field. Yeah, still, so you know, fairly, fairly concerning. So yeah, they may have been defeated, but it's like I don't know. It's weird. I was thinking about how the far right they kind of actually they mimic the tactics of Marxism, and so you know they kind of have the same philosophy about electoralism that Marxists yeah. do. That it's like, you know, we're trying to overthrow the state, and we want to use direct action and in league with parliamentary efforts. And so really it doesn't matter if we get in the government, as long as we are kind of like pushing our agenda, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah but yeah, they can actually, 
they can actually implement their program through the state though that's the that's the difference is that yeah, fascists theory, yeah. can, can implement their program through the bourgeois state and it might exactly so in the way the whole right. revolutionary era is just is all show basically it's it's way. all show but but the, it's necessary the black shirts are necessary the repressed the left where it exists but like if you yeah, actually it, it doesn't you know, require the fundamental change in character that comes with the workers republic the proletarian yeah. semi-state what have you it, it doesn't require yeah. the destruction of capitalism it doesn't require the forming yeah. of of a new form of democracy yeah they can even like take they can even like join coalitions with liberals in the government you know they can do shit like that because the, the original fascists did for most of yeah uh, in italy Mussolini's that's a serious power. power yeah yeah but i mean I don't know. It's interesting to compare this kind of new brand of xenophobic right with nationalism of classic fascism because it doesn't have that direct action element that old school fascism had. Like it seems to be very like it's it operates very comfortably within bourgeois democracy in a way. Even if it, you know, it kind of, you know, presents itself as being destabilizing to bourgeois democracy it's still able to, you know, to operate within bourgeois democracy. Yeah, I it's mean, like, yeah. Go it's on. sort of a post-fascism, I guess. Like, you know, they take elements from fascism, but... Yeah, post-fascism is interesting, because it's not exactly fascism. It's, it, it, yeah, it's taking elements from the old aspects of fascism and mixing it with modern center-right politics, almost. I mean, at, at J20... Uh, there was talk of some Trump supporter had set up their sort of truck with a camera to try to get for YouTube footage of uh, anarchists and what have you smashing the car or something like that. And they were doing different tactics to try and get the police, you know, to instigate conflict with the left but not to, as I think fascists of the past may have done, not to themselves beat up or win a fight against leftists or what have you, but to give the police pretense to crack I mean, down. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's just kind of empowering the police more so. In a way, that's kind of what Trump's that, That's yeah. a really key difference, I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's in still the really bad are really bad but it's it's different from like squads of black shirts beating up you know any leftists well i mean in the united states specifically they've infiltrated the police force to a certain extent like there's like fbi it's... files that emits this oh yeah like and also the clan yeah. has been a constant presence in the police force it's the united states in a way is particularly predisposed to integrating fascism like at least a lot of the functions of, of, of fascism the yeah, counter-revolutionary functions of fascism into the regular functioning of bourgeois democracy yes and you see this in latin america at its at its really most perfected i hate to say it but exactly like in the in the dirty wars in latin america against soviet proxies you see the u.s you know a supposedly democratic state basically using fascists like firing, like or just far right death squads, and against the Soviet, you know, against you know, not even Soviet proxies in all cases, but just any yeah. movement that was resistant to global capital. Yeah, who needs you, brown shirts when you got the police? No, it's it's true. It's weird because 
on the one hand, um, fascism or this kind of weird post-fascism confronts the establishment as the barbarians at the gates. On the other hand, it conducts a populist appeal to defend the forgotten ones, the forgotten populace against the true barbarians at the gates, you know, who have corrupted the state. It's really funny when the sort of inconsistent nature of their relationship with the quote unquote establishment gets like sort of highlighted in a weird way. Like they'll call themselves the new punk, the new punks, and then basically like suck off the police and shit like that. And I mean, how much of a joke has Drain the Swamp been? Drain the Swamp by appointing sort of the richest, most corrupt people you can find in the country, right? It's the same old song. Yeah, the new punk rock is all about sucking off police officers. And center-right cabinet appointments, too. That's what, um... And that's what Gavin McGinnis was trying to sell his kind of all right, his like brand of all right as he was trying to say this is a new punk rock. The new punk rock is being like a traditionalist and a conservative and standing for whiteness and not rebelling against the state. Yeah. But it's like uh, it actually it maybe like it's rebelling against the state, but it's rebelling in the state against the state in its completely like bullshit way. Rebelling against the welfare state, but just you know being a big fan of the monopoly on force. It's rebelling yeah, against exactly. the state in some ways. Yeah, you're, you're, you're. It's all about just triggering fucking white liberals. You know, that's that's what it's about. It's like a bunch of rich people fighting each other by like posting pictures of fucking them getting lattes with Trump Trump's name on it or buying at Nostrum or whatever. Like that's yeah. what it's. That's the future. The culture of wars is a mess. I mean, I think that what what Marxist politics ideally does is just shatter the culture wars. I mean, you know, when, you look, when you look at stuff like the Milo Yiannopoulos debate, I mean, there's sort of this Gordian knot that is the, the culture wars and it's all bullshit. And I really think that, that we just need to put the sword through it. Uh-uh. Well, we're, we're in an interesting place because the right has adopted so much of the left's tactics and it's kind of funny, you know, we can't adopt the right's tactics without changing them or we're going to run into trouble. And the right as well can't just adopt our tactics without changing them. Not just because they don't fit, but more because, you know, it didn't work for us. Um, and so the thing that's happening now is that there's this, um, yeah, there's this funny inversion of everything people hate about the left on the right. And if I know anything about American politics, if there's anything that's like consistent in bourgeois democracy over the past few decades, it's the the swinging pendulum. And we have such we have a hard right moment right now. And when there is a when there is a reaction to this, a, you know, or a you know revolutionary response to this, it's it's going to be a hard pendulum swing. I, you know, revolutionary in its spirit. I don't think you know necessarily a successful revolution will come out of it but the point is that we're 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 going to be due for a hard pendulum swing after the the fallout of this culture war stuff um really comes to fruition this episode was a little shorter than usual there was an organizer training last weekend that sucked up a lot of my free time that would usually go into prepping the episode so 
the topic list this week was kind of put together at the last minute. I know what you're thinking. Jake, I want podcast content, not excuses. Well, unfortunately this week, I only have a little of both. We have a Facebook page now, so if you haven't already checked that out, if you want to get a hold of us, you can message us on there, or, as always, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. If you like the show, uh, you can support it by leaving us a review on iTunes. So, until next time, keep, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head and the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. Beep.